0: Hi everyone, welcome to TTT, the Talking Transport Transformation podcast, brought to you by TUMi, the Transformative Urban Mobility Initiative. Today we are celebrating a premiere. The podcast you're listening to is the first audio format we produce at TUMi. So it is really new and exciting for all of us. To honor this premiere, we have picked a topic that is among the most pressing in the transport sector right now – green recovery after the COVID-19 crisis. We want to explore what exactly is meant by this term and how sustainable mobility can become a key element of every green recovery strategy. To do so, we invited Dr. Jörn Richard into our virtual open street, where my colleague Lena sat down with him and had an enlightening chat about the crucial role of cities in the sustainable transformation of mobility, as well as the newborn popularity of active mobility and possible future business models of digitalization. Dr. Richard is working at the Mobility Institute Berlin. The MIB is a consulting and research company that promotes the sustainable transition of urban mobility. Together with his colleagues, he published a much noted strategy paper on COVID-19 and the public transport sector. With a temporary loss of up to 95% of passengers, public transport is facing major challenges and a recovery is much needed. So let's listen in what solutions for a green recovery Dr. Richard brings to the table. I am very excited and glad to hand over to you, Lena.
1: We are starting off with a statement from the C40 Cities Climate Action Network. It reads, in contrast to national governments and multilateral organizations, mayors have been collaborating throughout their response to the COVID-19 crisis. This unparalleled cooperation will form the basis of the just and green recovery in the world's leading cities. Now, Yern, in a very brief response, is green recovery essentially a city's job
2: uh, well, that's a very good question, actually. Um, I would say not exclusively. Um, states obviously have a very important role to play in all this. Um, they, they are the ones who who have to set the overall uh, legal framework, and also they are probably the ones with uh, more financial capacity, so they, they play an important role in, in setting incentives. Um That uh, said, uh, cities are extremely important because um, cities are these places in the world where many, many people live, where you have a really high population density, um, and that comes with a lot of risks and opportunities. The risks obviously concern risks of infection when we talk about uh, COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, but they also have... A certain risk profile when it comes to public transport or transport in general concerning uh, road safety, air pollution, um, and so on and so forth. At the same time, you see great opportunities um, in the more general area uh, that concerns medical treatment, education, no opportunities, jobs, and in transport, uh, they actually have great opportunities in making mobility and transportation greener because you have such a great density um, so you can use public transport systems much more effectively than in more rural areas. Um, And also new mobility offers often focus on these cities. So if we ask if green recovery is a city's job, um, it is to a very important degree because this is where you have all these risks and opportunities, and uh, based on that, this is where you should take the decisions to to avoid risks and 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 realize those opportunities that you have.
1: Great, that's a very interesting point you just raised, and I think it's an ideal Kickstarter for this conversation today. So just let me say briefly, Jørgen, thank you so much for joining us in this open street, as we like to call it, and to discuss with us a bit more about the COVID-19 crisis, its effect on the transport sector, and especially the question for green recovery in the transport sector after COVID. To get you um, a bit more to tell us also about the work that you do at the MIB, I know that you've classified different phases of the COVID-19 crisis Um, and I was wondering right now at this time of speaking, what phase of the crisis do you think we're in and what does that mean for governments and cities?
2: So what we did in our work is we we basically came up with three different phases. The first uh, is an immediate crisis phase. This is what we've seen at the beginning of the pandemic. as a second phase, we uh, defined a calibration phase um, in which the numbers of infection go down, um, but there's this always uh, existing risk of, of, of new infection waves um, and in which society has to, um, ha- has to calibrate their response to the crisis. And then in the end, there's the conclusion phase where um, hopefully the crisis will be overcome as an Im- immediate phenomenon, but at the same time, we'll see long-term effects on society, life, and transport. Um, when you ask where we are in these phases, it's it's pretty hard to tell because it's a very local thing. Uh, when we look at Germany, we surely entered this calibration phase where um, the immediate crisis, the first spike of infections, has been overcome. And now society is struggling with uh, with basically doing everything um, to avoid a second wave of infections. Um, but then if you have a look at the global landscape, um, many countries are probably still in, in the first phase or even in the grow-up phase of infections. And I think that goes together with um, the challenge that in, in many places, either politicians don't want to test as much as it would be necessary as for example in the united states or other states might simply not have the capacity to test as much as as necessary to actually get good numbers so um there's like quite different developments and then in the end we sometimes just don't know because we don't have the data on it
1: right So let's assume for those places around the world where cities or regions are already in this calibration phase, where they have to consider how they will move on post-COVID, how they will deal with the effects that they're witnessing and how to best address these. A term that's been very prominent in this regard is the green recovery. So we know the EU has been uh, very strong on this topic. Uh, They've incentivized and encouraged EU member states to really focus on a green recovery And I think maybe not all of our listeners are so familiar with this term. Maybe in, let's say, three sentences, I'll give you some more if you want. But what is your understanding of the principle of green recovery after COVID-19, especially in the transport sector?
2: Um, For me, green recovery would mean, uh, first, that we cannot simply try to reinstall the things as they were. So we had this system um, that was running uh, more or less well, depending on where you were. Um, uh, but that had, in terms of environmental implications, uh, obviously a problem with uh, with climate change, also with local um, environmental uh, impacts. So the first sentence would be, don't go back there. <laughs> um, the second uh, is that to actually go somewhere else. And we can go somewhere else because we have this window of opportunity right now where things might be possible that otherwise won't be possible. Uh, we need political and economic incentives um, that steer towards an economic recovery um, that focuses on a world that we want to live in. Um, so that for me would mean um, a more sustainable world, also a more equal world. And, if you put these tremendous amounts of dollars and euros and other currencies into the economic system, you should make sure that you use them wisely in a way that makes us end up in a better place than we would have otherwise. And um, third sentence, I think if we do this right, we might indeed create a new normal that is um, in many ways at least better than that what we had before. Um, that is obviously uh, related to climate change. Um, if we manage in the transport sector, for example, to to push for electric vehicles, both in the uh, car area as well as in the public transport area, um, we would have great impact, positive impact of the crisis. Um, but at the same time, um, for transportation in urban areas, this also concerns things like pop-up bike lanes, pop-up bus lanes, um, more walkable streets, and in the end, more livable cities.
1: Right. So your advice to not go back to business as usual, as we've seen or as we've um, dealt with in the transport sector before this crisis, it also means supporting different modes of transport that create, in a way, more equity, but also have environmental benefits, if, if I'm getting you correctly. Yes. And I'm just wondering, because I know we've seen a lot of cities um, creating these pop-up bike lanes during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. While we were still in a lockdown, we were trying to get people to isolate from each other or at least socially distance from each other. Are there any cities or any governments that you've witnessed in the past few weeks or months who have really already taken the step of making these intermediate measures or short-term measures into a, a longer perspective so that where they've taken what they've done in the immediate crisis and kind of paved the way for a new understanding of mobility after the immediate crisis?
2: I, I think people are working on that. Um, I would, in some sense, maybe uh, challenge you question by <clears throat> turning the perspectives long-term and short-term around a little bit. Oh, please do, yeah. Uh, because I feel like um, those cities perform the best at the moment who already before COVID had a very visionary outlook on their mobility systems. So if you have a look, for example, at Bogota in Colombia or Paris in, in, in France or even Berlin, um, those were cities who... Had plans of how to how to revolutionise urban mobility already before this whole mess started. Um, um, so the, they had a visionary approach, and this approach I think allowed them to, when it started, to be really quick uh, in doing the right things. Um, obviously, uh, the MIB is situated in Berlin, so our we, we, like, during the. Course of of producing the paper that we wrote on this. We talked to many cities, but then obviously, um, we we are like most of us are living here. So um, we witness firsthand what happens in Berlin. And there has been a debate about increased bikeability in the city for for years. And um, it is quite amazing to see what has happened during the pandemic with uh, like tremendous amounts of pop-up bike lanes being built but this is not like an immediate decision this builds on on this this previous discourse that has been there so um i I think it's never it's never too early to start developing visions and um the the people who have been acting now they, they knew what they were doing even before the whole thing started
1: right i think that's a very important point that you're addressing so the question of how much was transport already on the agenda for a specific city or a government when the crisis hit that you say that also affected the way in which it was then addressed in the immediate crisis situation, but also in the slowly um, developing aftermath of this crisis. And I think uh, a lot of the feedback that we've received that to me from partners all around the world was also that in some places transport wasn't really part of the of the first-hand response areas within the crisis. So, uh, of course, the, the whole healthcare system was at the forefront when COVID-19 caused lockdowns all around the world. Um, but we do know of a lot of people who have advocated for you know immediate measures in the transport sector, which sometimes were slow to be put in place. So I'm wondering if the question of how much a city already is working on sustainable transport before the crisis will determine how well they move out of this crisis. Especially because if you look at, for example, um, incentives placed by the EU, um, what they're investing in, in transport projects, how they are showcasing that this is an important area, I think there's a lot of emphasis placed on the sector, yet we don't have a one-size-fits-all plan for green recovery in the sector. So we can't really go to cities and tell them, look, you just do A to Z and then uh, you will get out of this crisis. So what, in your opinion, would be a good advice for cities to find their own way of supporting green recovery within their transport sectors? Uh,
2: yeah, that, that's, that's a very interesting question. Um, First of all, I think there is something like a standardized way in Europe, which, which is these uh, sustainable urban mobility plans, um, which have been set up as a framework or as a process to design uh, city-level strategies. But the problem with those is they're they're obviously great, and it's it's great to standardize this process to, to, to ensure quality over a broad scale of cities. Um, But they're also quite slow, like too slow for for the current situation. If you need impact in, I don't know, one or two or maybe four weeks, you can't implement a whole sustainable urban mobility process planning. So that's a little bit of a challenge. And second thing, I think is it's really hard to get a one-size-fits-all solution because cities are so different. They are different geographically. They are different socioeconomically. Um, So I think it's that. That's like sort of going back to your, your your first question. That's maybe the major reason why cities have such a great role to play in all this. Um, they are very specific places with very individual characteristics um, for themselves. Um, so they they should they should basically build their own strategy. And if you ask how can you do that in a way that actually makes sense, uh, particularly at the moment, uh, my response would be that you have this diet of on the one hand you have the vision and on, on the other hand you have pilots and I think those should be developed in parallel so on the one hand work on where you want to re- really want to go um, develop a vision on how you think <clears throat> your urban mobility system should look like in 10 15 maybe 20 years and then on the other hand don't wait forever to to deduce a coherent set of measures, um, a very long list of measures, but pick out those projects which push you into the right direction quickly and then just start.
1: Mm-hmm. What role do you see in, in that process for um, intra-city cooperation? So I, maybe you've heard of the C40 Global Mayor's COVID-19 Recovery Task Force. That's a group of mayors who came together to really, you know, exchange their experience on the crisis, work together on on finding solution, while still all of them, of course, will go back and implement a sort of tailor-made Uh, version of that in their own city but how important do you think it is that mayors especially come together and discuss what they've experienced and where they want to move on from here on out
2: I I think that's tremendously important Um, contradicting myself a little bit here um, I said that each city is special and that's that's obviously right but at the same time um, you have certain cities with similar profiles Um, a very very simple thing is like how, like, are you, is your city built on a mountain or very close to the sea in a flat area, right? Um, that has tremendous implications for your transport systems. So there will be other cities that you can exchange experiences with um, in a very good way. And I think it's important that cities themselves actually have these interchanges <clears throat> because they share the experience of governing a city, whereas federal governments or state governments more general. Um they might be a little bit detached from the realities of governing a city. So if this would be a pure interstate debate, I guess that a lot of the like more subtle things and the more valuable information for cities would get lost. In that sense, it's it's tremendously important that those cities actually sit together, talk to each other, learn from each other, exchange best practices, um, and start making things change for the better.
1: Yeah. If you've, because you've touched also on um, the question of national governments right now, and something that we've of course witnessed quite a lot that they're not capable to speak on the situation in, in every city within that country. But, I'm always wondering, what, is, what can their role be to support cities in this process? So maybe from a financial perspective or, um, you know, from a policy perspective, what are some of the measures that national governments can take now so that they can ensure that cities are able or enabled to create this safe and green environment that they are about to embark on?
2: Obviously, I mean, the you you mentioned the two major levers there already. It's finance and it's regulation. Um, in the finance area, um, I would say that they can give the right incentives for both individuals but also uh, companies to, to invest into the right technologies. Um, something that was hotly debated in Germany is the fact that In the Recovery Act, there was money for the car makers, um, but but as opposed to to the financial crisis of 2008 9 that money was reserved for electric vehicles. Um, Previously, um, there was a, I think it's called Cash for Clunkers uh, program um, that basically allowed you to throw throw away your old car and get a new one, but it didn't really matter what car it was. Um, now this is limited, like sort of the, 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 the incentives that are provided now are limited to electric vehicles, um, and I think that is that that is a good step, um, and that's a right step to move into a direction to make transport greener. Um, obviously, this is still in the car area, so. Um, it would be important to move one step further and to actually uh, provide investment for public transport and other forms of more sustainable mobility in urban areas as well. And there, I think the states have the major role to play because they have um, the financial capacity doing so. even, Even COVID is complicated when it comes to uh, financing, obviously, because with the lockdown, the economy has struggles and um, in, in, in general, money is a great issue. But, but then again, it's it's about the re- green recovery idea. So with the limited resources you have and with the resources that you have to invest into the system to keep it running, where do you put it? Um and there you should focus on the things that make us move to a better world than we had been in before. And sustainable transport and public transport, I think, is should be very high in that agenda.
1: Absolutely. And I think that is something that you've mentioned in the beginning already to say that it's also kind of opened a window of opportunity that where we have to spend money now on recovering, so might as well spend it in the right places and incentivize the right um, technologies or approaches to, in our case, mobility. But there's also so many more issues within cities that now need to be addressed in order for them to recover in a green way. And that, that actually brings me to one of the other points I wanted to talk to you about, because I know that the Mobility Institute Berlin, of course, is very much engaged also in digital solutions. I know you've looked into ways how digitalization can help transport to become greener, is that something that you see right now in this current crisis as a connection point as well? And maybe do you already see it happening in certain cities that we've become a boost in digital solutions for, let's say, public transport or shared mobility, as we've seen, for example, for paying, you know, uh, cashless in stores, which I think has gained a tremendous push during this crisis.
2: Um, Yes, obviously. I I think that digitalization will play uh, a very important role in fighting the pandemic. Um, And I think you see a lot of discussion, you see a lot of push towards e-ticketing, for example, uh, which would sort of be the the public transport equivalent to cashless payment. Um, So in in, in fighting the pandemic, there's definitely room for digitalization, and it it is coming. Another example is... Uh, one thing we did in, in, in the work that we that we published is argue that multimodality and multimodal integration will become increasingly important um, to to give users the flexibility of like choosing um, one day the bus, the other day a shared bike or a shared car um, to just become as flexible as you have to be. Um, during the times of the pandemic where the risk situation basically changes very quickly. Um, And this area has been of great interest in our conversations with cities afterwards. So this is probably the area of the five things that we uh, wrote down that was um, of, of, of most interest. So the five things would be expansion of public transport offer, multimodality, Easy and simple pricing schemes, digitalization, and agile organizations, and this interlink between multimodality and digitalization was uh, probably the thing that cities wanted to talk about most and were most interested in. So, definitely yes.
1: That's an interesting mix of uh, of areas to take action in, and I think we'll be very much looking out for. Um additional work that the Mobility Institute is doing on this topic, I'd like uh, to ask you to keep us up to date on any new uh, ideas or any new developments um, with regard to this COVID-19 crisis. And um, I'm looking forward to maybe picking up this discussion once we're a bit further on in this progress again. Um, Sure. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jörn. It was great to have you as our first uh, To Me podcast talking transport transformation guest. Hope you enjoyed your time here and uh, I'm sure there might be some more questions redirected your way from our side in the near future.
2: Great. Thank you.
0: And hope to talk to you soon again. Thank you, Jörn and Lena, for these interesting insights into the topic of a green recovery in the transport sector. We hope you all enjoyed this premiere and you'll tune in for the upcoming episodes. We'll be releasing a new episode every two weeks covering diverse topics of sustainable mobility. In the meantime, we invite you to subscribe to this channel and also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. You'll find all the links to the TUMi platforms and our website in the description box. If you have any questions, comments or topic recommendations, feel free to leave a comment here or send us an email. This podcast has been recorded on August 18, 2020 and brought to you by Tumi. Thanks for tuning in and hear you next time.